Hey Blair, have you ever seen the Blair Witch Project? Don't even. <laughs> Did you get that joke a lot growing up? You can tell by my response, the, the Ooh. sigh. It's... Oh, that's a soft spot there Here... I've hit. <laughs> no, it's not even that. It, to me, it was the lack of creativity. Uh, it wasn't what? even a joke. It was just the name of a movie. Listen, I know my jokes are shit, and I'm okay with that. They make me laugh. <laughs> but that's, I mean, everybody. Oh, Blair Witch Project, right? And I'm like, that, how is that funny? It's just the name of a movie with my name in it. Like, I think more impressive is when people in the U.S., recognize my wife's name is tony and then we introduce ourselves tony and blair and they're like oh like tony blair oh that's actually a really good one i've never I'd, why is that never clicked for me wow so you didn't put that together mr uk listen but i've had just, people in america do, mm. just because i'm from the uk doesn't mean i'm obsessed with the uk you probably are more because you're american <laughs> no no yeah you watch the great british bake-off you've told me that before and you always try and quote the british people to me (laughs) paul hollywood is hilarious and after learning that he like had an affair with one of the contestants or one of the other hosts or something like that my wife and i always joke that he's just banging all the girls whenever they make it deep into the competition he's baking them yeah i think he's hilarious he's got that like deathly judgment it's underproved it's overbaked <laughs> have you been practicing that accent no i can i can do mimicry very well i think it's hard to do just any random set of words but if you i've heard actors have like a seed so they if they are trying to get into an accent they'll pick a famous line or or a certain word that helps them get into the accent I've got a friend who's just finished acting school and oh my god his his approach on accents he can do every single accent I'm just it's very impressive to be fair I don't know how people yeah. do it because I'm awful at accents Some are really easy I think German's easy I think Australian's easy I can't um, do the American one for the life of me Someone was saying it was uh, I think Emily Blunt. I was listening to that podcast Smartless with uh, it's uh, Jason Bateman, a couple other guys that I'm blanking on their names, Will Arnett and Sean Hayes, and they have interviews. And Emily Blunt was saying she's uh, she's pretty good at the American accent, but she was doing some show and she was like asking if they could. Oh no, sorry, it wasn't her. It was Matthew Reese, who's from Wales, and he was like. Which that's a hard accent to do because it's close enough to certain British accents, but it's also very distinct. But he was like, <laughs> I guess uh, Perry Mason, where he's like, he couldn't say the word murderer in an English Murder. or American accent. And he, he's like, could, could we just switch to saying killer? Like, like murderer, murderer. Like he couldn't say it because he wanted to turn it like British and say murderer not murderer and like it was it was just like way too hard for him i thought it was hilarious that's pretty <laughs> like, funny you know you signed up for three seasons of this show <laughs> what are we talking about today oh protein 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 big muscles protein apparently yeah that's all that's all proteins good if you don't want muscles don't eat protein end of episode oh well <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the problem is some people actually believe it as well i uh, you know what it's 
it's less so um, just from my experience. I could be completely wrong. It's less so men. It's more women that say it to me. Um, you know, I get a lot of female clients coming to me going, oh, I don't want to consume lots of protein because I don't want big muscles. And, you know, and then I always have to, you know, like relate it to some form of food that is high in protein. And then I say, do you consume this? Do you eat this? And they go, yeah. And I'm like, you know, that's protein. I was like, if you were going to have big muscles, why do you not have it from eating those? And then they always go, I don't know. And then that's usually when the when it clicks for them and they're like, oh, yeah, I guess protein doesn't give you big muscles. <laughs> um, I, I have some men that fall into that as well, where I'll talk about the benefits of protein and they'll say something like, oh, I thought that was just for building muscles. And... I'm not sure where that stems from. Maybe just like the Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilding crowd Definitely. in the 80s. Absolutely, because they all walked around with protein shakes. So I, I guess, how do how do we want to like start or structure this one? Because I think there's the, the three areas that come to mind with protein intake. Are people eating too much? Are people not eating enough? And is it dangerous? And also, what does it do? Because I don't think people actually know what protein does, which okay. is... And so I'd like to start there, and then I'd like to go under-eating protein, because that's what I see most commonly in my job anyway. All right, so a little 101. What, what is protein? What does it do? So as far as I'm concerned, like protein is designed to help muscles repair. And I know it can do some other things as well. It can be used as an energy source. It can, um, oh, what else? It can satiate um, hunger. It, it can do a few things. But ultimately, it predominantly improves recovery, which is where potential muscle building can occur. It's through increased recovery, not from protein itself. Would you agree or disagree? In a nutshell... Uh, my first question is, who designed it? Who designed protein? You said protein was designed or is designed. I just thought it was a funny choice of words. I designed it. Yeah, you designed it. Um, yeah. So yeah, pr protein predominantly should be for recovery. And inadvertently, I guess, muscle is correct, but it's really any tissue. So every tissue in the body has a protein element to it. It either is a protein or is derived from protein somehow. Um, most of our organs are a type of protein. They're different than skeletal muscle, but it is still muscle. It's protein. Uh, then we have our digestive tract and stuff, which is smooth muscle, still muscle, still protein. But then, you know, enzymes that help us break down food, our bones, our DNA, you know, everything has some kind of a protein component to it in the body. So it's, it's about repair and restoration, rebuilding lost damage or depleted tissue, period. Yeah. And I think when you can explain to people protein is more so used for recovery, I think it definitely changes people's um, approach on how to take it and how much to take. And then it, I think 
step one is we shouldn't be afraid of protein. I think too many people think that protein will predominantly change the way you look, but that's not true. Like if you had a high protein diet and didn't exercise, that doesn't mean you're going to look how you, how a lot of people would imagine, which is muscular. It doesn't work like that. It just means you'd have a, a higher opportunity to recover quicker than let's say other people. Correct. So, and and let's dive a little bit more into protein and how it works before we move into how much is the right amount and that kind of stuff. So, and this might help people have a better understanding. Protein is the most complicated molecule of food we consume. It has four structures. It's a, you know, chain of polypeptides and amino acids. We'll discuss what those are in just a second. And that turns into uh, these helical structures, which then start bending and twisting and wrapping. And then four of those structures all glob together. And you have this big, complicated structure. And this this is important because it helps us explain, like you kind of alluded to, protein is very satiating. It's it's actually satiety. It's, a, it's the lasting feeling of fullness. And the reason for that is because since it's such a big, complicated molecule, it takes a lot of energy, a lot of enzymes to break down. So it spends a longer period of time moving through the digestive tract, which creates this hormonal satiety and this feeling of fullness so that your body doesn't need food as quickly. It's it's actually a strategy for helping people control blood sugars is to combine proteins with their carbohydrates to reduce how often and how much carbohydrate they need to feel full and and satiated. And so essentially we don't use protein. We use amino acids. So protein is broken all the way down into these amino acids and polypeptides, which is the, the building block. So the analogy I used to always use is if protein is the house, amino acids are the bricks. So we want to break it down into bricks because we want to turn this house that nobody's living in into these houses that are starting to fall apart. And so you get these amino acids and there's a little pool of them floating around the body and you use those amino acids to repair damaged tissue, which is the bricks going into place. Right. And so ultimately you can only repair what's broken So if you don't have any, if you're eating enough protein and there's no disrepair, there's no broken down tissue, which uh, newsflash, that's never going to happen. Your body's always breaking things down and and rebuilding and, and recycling cells. But you can't just force muscles to take on new protein or more amino acids without exercise. So the first step in using protein to build muscles is breaking the muscle down vis-a-vis resistance training. Right, but just breaking the muscle down and repairing it doesn't solely mean that it's going to grow back bigger. It's just going to grow back better. It depends on a lot of things. I mean, ideally, that's what should happen is it grows bigger. I wouldn't um, agree with bigger because I think you need to be in a calorie surplus or at least maintenance for your muscles to get bigger because they need like more than just protein. 
Correct. And so you do have you to be in a calorie surplus to gain muscle. Yeah. So if you were eating an adequate amount of protein, but you were in a calorie deficit, I think that doesn't mean you would gain muscle. It just means that your muscles will probably repair and become more dense and hold as much muscle because usually in a calorie deficit, we would tend to lose muscle because obviously everything's decreased. So it just helps us maintain what we've got to a better level. Yes and no. Um, I it's it's weird. Like, I think there are microtransactions when in a proper deficit. So I think in an extreme deficit, you cannot gain muscle. The best you can hope for is to maintain it. You know, in a, in a drastic weight cut. But I've definitely seen some people lose fat and gain muscle very slowly over time. And there was a, a minute weight loss, couple pounds lost. So they, they lost, let's say six or eight pounds of fat and gained three or four pounds of muscle. Okay. Over but like a, over like a year's period, it's body recomping. It's a very slow process. And so basically you're, there's micro transactions of deficits and surpluses over a year as opposed yeah, to, I was going to say, I'm firmly in a deficit and I'm firmly in a, surplus but right i think you can gain muscle in a calorie maintenance if yeah, you're yes. you caloric in your diet you can gain muscle i agree in calorie maintenance i think you can gain muscle and drop body fat at the same time and i think obviously a deficit leads more the other way and a surplus leads more the opposite way as well correct so idealistically your best hope when losing fat and weight is to maintain or minimally lose muscle. And your best hope in gaining muscle in a surplus is to maintain or minimally gain body fat. Yeah, completely agree. Okay, so shall we start? This is a good sort of segue into dosages. Um, where did you want to talk? People under-eating protein. I see both. I see people under and over-eating protein. Okay. I also see both, but I more commonly see under-eating. I would agree with that. And so most people, I guess they use the generic government guidelines of what a quarter of your plate should be um, protein-based, a quarter should be vegetables, and a and like half carbs or something, right? Oh, sorry, is it yeah. the other way around? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think it is. It's It's traditionally based off the food guide pyramid it was 50 to 60 percent carbohydrates and 20 percent protein 30 percent fat kind of deal but i um, think this is irrelevant because like i think people need to look at their daily activity levels and the level of resistance training that they're doing and and also i don't think people even know how much protein they should be consuming for their size either I do agree with that, and I also think percentages are a very slippery slope where if someone is intuitively, chronically under-eating, they might be hitting 20% protein, but they're only getting 800 calories a day. You know, so 20% of 800 calories is not very much. Probably be like less than, like, less than 50 grams of protein, probably. 
it, uh, yeah, I would say drastically less. But it's it's just one of those examples where percent is not an ideal way to structure your diet. Also, when we start getting into calorie surpluses, you know, certain athletes and certain size individuals trying to gain weight. And if you do a percentage, all of a sudden, you know, 20 to 30 percent protein can be hundreds of grams. And that's just unrealistic as well. Yeah. And so, to my knowledge, the formula to work out how much protein you should be having, uh, in the UK anyway, is like two, two grams of protein per kilo of body weight. So that is a, it's a, it's an overestimate. So let's, let's start from the beginning of that. So the, the government or the, the recommendations for most individuals is 0.8 grams per kilogram. I disagree with this number. I think it's too low. Well, I essentially that number was was defined. Go on. Sorry. So, so yeah, the 0.8 grams of kilogram or per kilogram of protein is too low because this number is defined as the minimum amount needed by the general population to not see any deficiencies. So basically it's just the minimum amount needed to not have bone mineral density issues and muscle atrophy and diseases like core. And so minimum amount needed has somehow turned into this is what people need daily not this or more we see the same thing happen with fiber which we can talk about in another episode is the minimum recommendation is 25 to 30 grams of fiber per day that does not mean 25 is it no more no less it's a minimum suggestion and so 0.8 is is a bottom line bottom of the barrel hit that number to not be deficient and die essentially is that per pound or are you talking per kilo per kilogram oh are you yeah i it's always in kilograms so the minimum amount recommended by the the nutrition boards and government bodies fda usda uh and the cdr the commission on dietetic registration is 0.8 grams per kilogram so I always thought it was on a spectrum on your activity levels. So 0.8 would be for someone very sedentary and the numbers would slightly creep up based on your activity levels. Yeah, I want to get there in just a second because I don't even agree with 0.8 for sedentary individuals, to be honest. I think it's just a it's a low, low bar for minimum. Okay. There is a spectrum, but I and I think this is what's happening. Why we see some people under eating protein and some people overeating protein is because it, hearing you say it's two grams per kilogram, that's the top end of recommendations for active individuals. And also, when we get to America, where we don't use kilograms, like you noticed, you asked, "Am I talking about in pounds or kilograms?" Since I'm very steeped in research. I use kilograms. I'm more comfortable converting to kilograms, and that's what we use for basic calorie recommendations. That's what we use for basic protein recommendations, fat recommendations. It's always per kilogram because that's where the research is. So the range that we recommend for the active individual is 1.2 to 2 grams per kilogram. Okay. And then you, you come to America... And 
we don't understand kilograms. So most people know that two kilograms is roughly a pound. And so they'll say one gram per pound. Which and is that's completely wrong. off. It's 2.2 kilograms per pound. So yeah. it's 20% less than a gram per pound. Yeah. So that's the high end of the range for active individuals, not the sole number to aim for. And so I think where we get led astray is what most people don't know, understand, or think about or realize activity does play a factor, you know? So what type of activity you do, whether you're a resistance trainer, but I think what winds up being more important is what state of calorie consumption you're in that changes your recommended protein range more so than the type of activity you're doing. But not on a percentage basis, though. No, on a gram per kilogram. I mean, it will affect the percentage, yeah. but on a gram per kilogram yeah. Yeah. basis. Yeah, okay. By, by a considerable amount or just a little bit? Pretty considerable. So just to give you the general recommendations, I know some people don't like numbers, some people do, but we're just to paint a picture... Endurance athletes, typically somewhere around 1.4 to 1.6 grams per kilogram is recommended. Um, your average resistance trainer is going to be somewhere in the 1.5 to 1.8. So they're not that far off. No, yeah. You know, there's a little overlap on the top and bottom end, Venn diagram style, but it's not like it's twice as much for resistance trainers because they're trying to build muscle. Okay. Um. So who would be but near the two? When you look at huh? who would be near the two then? Near the two, that's what I'm getting to. Oh my bad. Is when you look at calorie consumption, when you are in a calorie surplus, the recommendations are between one point four and one point eight grams per kilogram, even for resistance training individuals. And the reason is is because when you're in a calorie surplus, carbs and fat are doing their job, which is providing energy. And that allows protein to do its job, which is providing amino acids for muscle rebuilding. So your your protein needs are a bit lower when you're in a surplus because your body is focused on building tissue. So it it's it had that's enough protein to see those goals achieved. When you go into a calorie deficit, we see those numbers shift up to 1.8 to 2.2 grams per kilogram. So now all of a sudden that one gram per pound is a little bit more accurate. And the reason behind that is when you're in a deficit, protein now becomes a viable energy source. You are technically starving yourself although mildly. So your body is going to retrieve energy from stored sources and protein is a viable source. So if it needs amino acids to do amino acid things, fat cannot build muscle or repair tissues or, you know, help you produce new blood cells. So you need amino acids for those. And if you're deficient in amino acids, guess where it's going to come from? Go on. Skeletal muscle. Muscle mass. Of course. So eating a higher protein on a deficit is protective of skeletal muscle to ensure that we don't pull from stored muscle or stored protein because we don't have protein stores like we do 
fat stores. They, they, you, there's a little pool of amino acids swimming around after eating, but it tends to go away after a couple hours if it's not utilized. And so that's why a lot of people who are under eating protein, uh, you know, are pretty much always staying the same size because they're using their muscle mass because they're not eating the adequate amount of protein, but then the training and sort of rebuilding that same muscle mass and they're in a constant cycle of not getting any bigger. They're just the same size all the time. Or why when we see people losing weight and celebrating the scale moving downward, they wind up losing lean mass. And we've actually seen a rise in people becoming fatter at the same weight because they lose weight, 30 pounds in a month on some extreme diet. And since they reduce calories so much, they reduce protein, they lost lean mass, and then they regain the weight because that kind of progress is not sustainable and they gain back fat mass. And so people become fatter and fatter where like they're not that overweight or obese per BMI standards, but then they do a body comp and they have like 56% body fat. And it's, you know, it's tragic because of misinformation out there. And it's hard. Yeah. I think it's hard to eat 1.8 to 2.2 grams per kilogram on a calorie deficit. You know, when you're only given... 1700 calories or 1600 calories as a small female and you're trying to eat you know 120 grams of protein that's it's 480 of your 1600 calories is protein like that's it's it's tough for people that don't know what they're doing and don't know how to structure a diet to maintain that we need to do another episode on like um um protein sources because I feel like a lot of people are like, where shall I get my protein from? But we can talk about that another time. All right. Well, can we touch on like um, over-consuming protein? We haven't got much time, so let's see what we can fit in. Yeah, so I think I did kind of touch on it with the general recommendation of a gram per pound and not needing as much as you think when you're in a surplus. I meant more so like uh, you've heard the myth over-consuming protein damages your liver, right? Or kidneys, yeah. 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 So that's, that's is, it, is it dangerous, I think is a good point. And, you know, to quote uh, one of my favorite people on Instagram, Bio Lane, Lane Norton, there are zero randomized controlled trials indicating that protein has any negative effect on the kidneys or liver whatsoever as a matter of fact there is research proving quite the opposite that increases in supplemental protein while on any level of kidney failure other than stage four has shown an improvement in prognosis in the disease i recently had a client she lost four kilos and she was also consuming more protein and but she had been for um blood test to test her liver and her function was quite poor and through consuming more protein and also dropping that body fat um her liver uh, her blood um her blood showed that her liver's functioning completely back to normal again now and so protein had absolutely no negative effect on her yeah and i think it's one of those this is one of those pieces of information that It was steeped and rooted in 
someone just guessing without any science, like MSG, or, you know, I know I'll probably catch flack for this one, gluten sensitivity. Yeah. Where people say things, and that's a, that's a great episode. Let's, let's add that to the list, gluten sensitivity. But so someone just said, oh, protein is hard to digest and, and takes a lot of energy to digest, so it's, it's hard for the kidneys to filter that out. And there, there wasn't science on it. It was just someone's guess based on loose biochemistry. And, you know, th- there's a lot of misinformation from the past where, like, you know, this person did this thing and they died, so it's going to kill you. And it's just, we need to debunk that stuff as much as possible. But for some reason, it, it gets its roots in and stays and stays and people keep quoting it forever and ever and ever. I think sometimes it's people may have, like, liver dysfunction or kidney dysfunction and they want to put it down to something and they look at what's changed in their life and it might be they've started out at a protein shake or something and they want to blame it on what they think the change was whereas it could have just been an accumulation of their bad diet over those years you know what i mean but just it happened to hit them at the same time as taking a protein shake you know what i mean yep and then we'll we'll talk about this in the research episode i'm really excited to talk about that one but just the difference in the types of studies and how to interpret them and how some of this stuff is correlational not causational etc that's a really interesting point because literally i hear so many things these days and how it's linked to cancer and it's and i think it's taken way out of proportion sometimes i think everything is linked to cancer somehow (sighs) well Let's save that for another day. I heard a, a doctor say, <laughs> I think I heard a doctor say that if you live long enough, you will get cancer. So technically living is linked to cancer. <laughs> oh, well, there's no winning. Nah, we're winning. We're, we're here right now. I think, I think we did it. Yeah, I think we did it, man. This is a good episode. Yeah, I like this one. So we got a few more episodes planned just off this conversation and... I think, like you said, maybe something on understanding sources, maybe call it, is it a protein? Yeah, that's a good shout, actually. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Do you want to you sign us off? You can follow us on A Healthy Debate. Um, we're on Instagram. And uh, you can find me and Blair separately from there. But feel free to give us a review on our podcast if you enjoyed it on spotify and apple five stars only five stars only if it's not five stars contact us and let us know why it wasn't five stars and we'll get you there maybe at some point we'll do a giveaway and like whoever gives us five stars that week will like give a prize out to someone i'm okay with that Yeah, adam will train you for free for life (laughs) for life and blair will cook you (laughs) breakfast for life <laughs> that is not true. Don't. I mean, do rate us five stars, but you're not getting. That. Make sure you read the terms and conditions. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <Yeah. laughs> These prizes are entirely false and made up. But yeah, follow, like, subscribe, share with your friends, uh, get the word out about us because hopefully we're here to stay. We're definitely here to stay. Awesome. Enjoy your evening, weekend, weekday, whatever, wherever you are, whatever time you listened. Bye bye. A healthy debate runs purely on fat and is completely free of banned substances. This episode was edited by Blair Solberger, so if it sucks, blame him. 
The next episode will be out in a week, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at a healthy debate or on YouTube at youtube.com slash at a healthy debate.